You're listening to Awakening with Rabbi Ami Silver on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Ami as he shares the wisdom of the Hasidic master, Rabbi Kolonimus Kalman Shapira of Piazetsna. Through the Piazetsna Rebbe's various works, Rabbi Ami guides us on a unique path of healing, transformation, and awakening to experiencing the divine that is steeped in the Jewish mystical tradition. Um, this is a migun that the words are from Echa. The kindness of God that's never ending. So we're going to be learning a piece from uh, one of his drashot from Sefer Kodesh that although it's not, you didn't teach this during the time of the Ben HaMitzarim, the three weeks that we're in, um, what he talks about is very relevant. Uh, say that about maybe half the drashot in this book anyway. But to these ones in particular, um, before we get into this piece, just to give some context of the time of year we're in, uh, we tend to think of or experience things maybe like very disjointedly. You know, it's like, oh, it was Shavuot a couple weeks ago, a month ago, I don't know. Then there's this fast day, Shiva Savitamuz. 
and it's the summer, but then there's a couple of weeks in the summer where we kind of have to like you know, think about other things, and then there's another fast day, Tisha B'Av. And we can understand how Shiva Sabah Tammuz and Tisha B'Av are related. Right? Shiva Sabah Tammuz is the day that commemorates um, the invasion of Yerushalayim, the walls of the city being broken through twice, and a bunch of other kind of catastrophic events. Okay? And Tisha B'Av is obviously the Choban, is the, the temple is being destroyed. We can see how this is like a unit. And, um, you know, these three weeks, 21 days, 22 days, and, uh, and some of the, some of the Hasidish Sfarim, the Rebbe say that these days, these 21, 22 days of the year have their parallel in the 22 days from Rosh Hashanah until Simchat Torah. From Rosh Hashanah to Simchat Torah. Okay, you have Aleph Tishrei. Rosh Hashanah, 10 days later is Yom Kippur, four days later, five days later, you have Sukkot, which lasts eight days. So you have basically the same amount of time amount. of the Yamim Noraim. Three weeks. is about three weeks. Yeah. And so, so for example, uh, I think I saw this from Tichas Koritzer that to the degree to which we mourn Yushalayim during this time of year, to the degree to which we connect to the brokenness of these three weeks, so we, we find the joy in those three weeks of Tishrei, of Tishrei, of Sukkot. And, and it's not just a acute kind of connection, because really Shiva Sabah Tammuz is the beginning of the Yomim Noraim. Shiva Sabah Tammuz? The Shiva Sabah Tammuz is the beginning of the Yomim Noraim, and I'll tell you why. Because... Besides for the breaking of the walls of Yerushalayim, uh, Chazal say that Shiva Sabah Tammuz is the day that Moshe came down from the mountain and saw Am Yisrael dancing around the golden calf and, and shattered the Luchot, shattered the Torah on the ground. So before there's even a discussion of Yerushalayim being invaded and Beit HaMikdash and all that, there's, there's a prior event, there's a prior event of breakage, of rupture, yeah, at a place that was the highest, holiest point in our, in our history, a place of, of rupture there. And Yom Kippur, the origin of Yom Kippur, before we have a Beit HaMikdash, before we have a process of Tahara and Kabbalah and Kohen, Kodanot and all those things, Yom Kippur is the day that Moshe, right after he broke the Luchot, he went up to the mountain for 40 days, and he went up to the mountain uh, Another 40 days, good math. Moshe came down on Yom Kippur with the new Luchot, with the second Luchot. So, what I'm saying is from the beginning point of Shiva Sabbat until Yom Kippur, the 10th day of Tishrei, we have the Torah being shattered and the Torah being rebuilt. And historically, Generations later, okay, there's more in the Midbar, right? Because this is also a year after that happened in the, in the Midbar. Um, Shiva Sabah Tammuz, well, no, it's Rosh Chodesh Tammuz is when the, when the Miraglim, when the spies were sent to check out the land of Israel. And it was during this time of year that they were doing their scouting mission. And they were seeing what they were seeing and experienced what they were experiencing. And they came back on Tisha B'Av and gave their report. And Bnei Israel 
basically had their dream deferred at that moment, that the, that the whole process of entering the land was, was there was a breakdown of that um, direction in that moment. It was then you know, pushed off for 40 years. So again, all of this is before we get to Chulam, before we get to the Beit Mikdash. Then with the Beit Mikdash, we have this same time of year as being a time of rupture, of breakdown. Okay? And what, what we walk through during this time of year and all the way into Tishrei is these times of a low point where we connect to moments of crisis and loss, an experience of loss. When we come out of Tisha B'Av, we already start moving into a time of, of Nechama, of being comforted, of the beginning of Nechama, besides for being comforted, it also means redirection. The word Necham means to be directed, so there's, there's sort of a new path that we start charting from that point, and that leads directly into the month of Elul, which is the month of Rachamim, which is the month of Tshuva, which leads into Rosh Hashanah, which, which is the time of, of Malchut, which are, of rebuilding a world that's godly, which is, leads us to Yom Kippur, which is a time of being you know, reunited with God in a, in a, in a full acceptance and, and, and atonement, which leads into Sukkot, which is a time of celebration and joy. So there, there's a whole swing, yeah, a whole trajectory that's going to take us to Simchat Torah. We're going to get to Simchat Torah. Okay, we're going to be dancing with the Torah. But to get there, we have to start in the place of breaking. We start in the place of breaking. To begin to enter and to, to walk towards a new rebuilding of the world, we start in the place where the world is broken. So I'm saying all this because part of what, as, as deep as the mourning is during this time, it's also the beginning place where we find hope for the future. It's the beginning place where we, where we begin to discover where we need to go from here. And maybe we're not even taking the first step yet in the direction, but we're beginning to feel both what has been lost and what we're yearning for, and the possibility of God for something. Or in the words of Chazal, that they're, they're, it's, they're flip sides of the same experience, that the deeper we were able to connect to this um, absence, to this loss, so that actually is what opens the door for us to begin to search for and discover that new rebuilding. And if Rosh Hashanah is a time of, of, of rebuilding God's malchut, the world being a, a kingdom, a palace, that's God's, so we first have to recognize all the places where, where the palace was, was lost. And that's where we are right now. That's what this time of year is. So the, the, the morning of, of, of this time, the, the low period of this time, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. It's not like we do this because Jews have to be sad at some point of the year. So we chose this time to be sad and then we're going to be happy in that time of the year. This is all part of one season. And I'm saying that because it's also contextualizing like why, what's the purpose of going to the pain? Isn't the pain of the past enough to keep in the past? 
right? Isn't the Sheva enough to have happened already? We have to like re-enter it every year. We have to, and, and a lot of people even experience that. It's like, oh, I have to make myself feel sad about something that I don't even know what it was. So part of, part of what I'm trying to, to just bring up to the surface here is that there's, there's a, at least until it's so clear to all of us that the world is whole again. And all of us, I don't just mean us in the room here, but I mean, so the world is ready to really embrace each other and erase a world that belongs to God. We have to continue to relate to the, the breakage in order to, to begin to rebuild something. Yeah, you don't even know where, where the tikkun is if you don't know where the shed is. So, so again, it's not in a vacuum and it's connected to that, that vision of, of where we're going to be going from here. And, and for me, I'm bringing that up too because I feel like that contextualizes also our ability to relate to the pain and the loss because it doesn't exist in the because it's part of because it's part of that. It's the beginning process of the rebuilding is to, to have an honest look at, at what's missing. What's so this time of year is about not ignoring it. So maybe we'll just start this with, just before we start learning. This is uh, a tefillah that we were carrying, whether we say it or we don't say it. We're a here for this kotli, this moch, to be part of the building of the world. Um, before we get to the Eish Kodesh, I want to read a small piece from the Tikkun Ezar that uh, he doesn't quote, but I think is related to part of what we're going to see. So this is in... Uh, Tikkun 11, Tikkun Ezar. I'm just going to jump in the middle here. It's talking about that there are all these gates, all these heavenly gates that the world was created with, all these different ways to reach God. Okay? And it goes on and says that now in exile, all the gates have been locked up. Like, what's exile? Exile is like you can't access goodness. You can't access holiness. You can't access God. It seems to be missing from the picture. All the gates are locked. And the, the, the Shekhinah is outside of her chamber. She's in English. God's presence is not in its place. Yeah, on a simple level of Mikdash is God's presence and it's God. And, and the God of Baruch Hu, that other aspect of God is also not at home. Everything's displaced. That's exile. Everything's displaced. All the angels whose job it is to, they're ones who are in charge of prayers, that, those conduits of prayer, they're also not in their place. We don't even know where to, where to pray to. The prayers are like lost. So the prophet says that the angels are screaming chutza outside, outside. Meaning we're all we're all outside. Nobody's nobody's where they need to be. And the prayers have no place to enter into. This is what it means that all of the gates are locked. This is quoting something in the Gemara Baba as well that all the gates of the all the gates of prayer. Except of Al Sharri Dima Lonin Alu, but the gates of tears have never been locked. 
The gates of prayer were all closed, but the gates of tears were not locked. Now, so that already the Gemara says. The Gemara says after this, at the time of exile, all the gates of prayer are locked, but the gates of tears have never been. So you might think that tears are a point of despair. Doesn't work. We just push the edge, and there's not and, and a failure, so to speak. Right? But as I was saying here, the tears are the gate. Actually, the yeah, tears it's, are a it's gate. It's the beginning of the cleansing. A, this is a gate. This is a gate that doesn't close. If all the other gates close, this is a gate that doesn't close. The Zohar goes on and says, "Man de'aftach lo ne'ilin shavim ad yete mari de'dima." Oh, sorry, the late man de'aftach. There's nobody who can open these gates meaning those gates of prayer, until the master of tears, Mare de Dima. Di'it Marbe, about whom it says, Vatiftach vatir'ehu et ha'yele, ve'hinei na'ar bochre. This is a pasuk from Sefer Shmon and Moshe Rabbeinu as a three-month-old child was put in a raft in the Nile and sent off. He was sent out in a in a in a little ride. Right. And Paro's daughter comes out to the shore and she sees Vatiftah, she opens it. Vatir'ehu et ayelet, and she beholds, she sees this child, Vihine Naar and it's a youth child. who's crying. Right? Who was Moshe? Moshe was the Redeemer. The image of the Redeemer is is, is the one who's crying. The chamber, the heavenly chamber, can't be opened except by, by anyone other than him, the one who is the master of, of crying. This is why it says, This is why it says she opens it. She opens it because the one who, who knows how to cry is the one who knows how to open the gates of heaven. That this chamber, this chamber of tears, was open for him. For the master of tears, for the crying child. And what is it that opened it? It was those tears. The next word, then right immediately, she had mercy for him. So, where do we get? So, the Zohar is saying this is about God responding to, to the universe. Where does God's mercy pour out from? From the one who has the tears who knows that open. Another explanation of this opening is that, so that's Moshe Rabbeinu, master of tears, but, but it's true too that whenever Am Yisrael open in Shuva, open themselves up to wanting to connect to God, Bibchiyah, and they cry from that desire, that also opens the gate of compassion. And this is what it means when the prophet Jeremiah says, Jeremiah is talking about, at this point, the return from exile. And he says, you will, you will come in tears. I'll bring you back in tears. In the merit of his tears, they will be brought in from Eta. 
because there's a chamber of tears that there's no way to open it other than it. Now, I'll just say as a preface, and we're going to get in now to the to the Pithesna, this language in the merit of his tears. So the the parish here is not so clear, like who's the whose tears are we talking about that ultimately open open the pathway back to them. So the, the Benish Chai, who's who's Perishanazar, he seems to interpret this to be saying that the tears of Truva of the Jewish people, the tears of Amisra wanting to reconnect, arouse tears above. They arouse God's tears to open the gates. But our tears meet God's tears. And that's that's what 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 the what, what the Mel saying you're going to come, I'm going to bring you back from redemption in tears. In God's, God saying, I will bring you back from redemption, crying. I will be crying. Okay, so I'm bringing this up because you're going to see that we get into this, this idea that, that the Lord brings in this rush, and he brings another rush up later on. Here of, of, there's a concept of God crying too. Not to put that so we'll get there, but this was uh, interesting. Okay. Let's take papers here. Um, I'm not going to read through the whole Joshua. We're going to probably skip around a little bit, okay? Because um, it's longer than we have time for. So this is from Parshat Mishpatim, which was Shabbat Parshat uh, Shkalim of that year, 1942. He starts off quoting the verse, These are the Mishpatim, the laws, <coughs> that you should put before them. This is okay, we'll get to that. It says in the Gemara Brachot, Rabbi Yossi says, one time I was walking along, and I entered into a one of the Chorva, a Chorva of Chorvot Yushalayim, one of the destroyed places of the ruins of Yushalayim. Yeah? There are ruins of Yushalayim, and Rabbi Yossi says, I entered into one of these when I was on, on my way. The Hitz Palel, I went there to pray. Eliyahu came. He stood by the, by the doorway until I finished. When I finished praying, he said to me, Shalom Alecha, Rabbi. And I said to him, Shalom Alecha, Rabbi Umori, my teacher and my, and my master. He said to me, my son, what voice did you hear? in the room, in that room. What did you hear? And I said to him, I heard a bat call, a heavenly voice. That sheminahemet kayona, it was humming, murmuring like a dove. And it was saying, Oy levanim sheba'avonoteim hechravti atbeti v'saravti atbechali v'hidvitim levanam. Saying, Oy to my children, because for because of their sins, I destroyed my house, I burned my chamber, and I exiled them among the nations. And Eliyahu responded to me, as he says, and he said, which is a, a lashon shua, it was a kind of an oath that Eliyahu was taking. Swear to you, he said, not only at this moment is this what, what heaven is saying, but every single day, three times a day, this, this voice is going out into the world. 
ostensibly that means every time that that we're gathering in prayer, this is what what what's being heard in heaven. Oi, that I built my home and exile. And not only more than this, at the time when when Yisrael, when, when Am Yisrael gathers together in Bate Knesset and Shuls and Bate Midrash and places of learning, and they answer, right? they're, they're resounding, let God's name be great forever and ever. God nodding his head. How happy for a king, how fortunate is the king who is praised in his home. How happy is the king who is praised in his home. What a terrible situation for a father who's exiled his own children. And how painful is it for the children who've been exiled from their father's table. This is the quote from the Gemara. Okay? So every time that Jews are gathering to pray, every time they're saying that God's name be great, God is responding with feeling the pain of, of, of exile, that pain of distance in this, this place. So the Rabbi says, So he brought this in an earlier drasha. He brought this in a different drasha, the same Gemara, and he, he talks, he says, we already explained why is it that he only heard this when he's praying here. Eliyahu is telling Rabbi Yossi, every time anybody's praying, this voice is, is going after that. Why do he only hear it here? here. Yes. So without going to that Torah and treaty, giving a full treatment, the Rabbi says, when you enter into the Chorva of Yushalayim, when you enter into the ruin of Yushalayim, you hear the voice of God's pain. But you don't hear when when you're comfortable, when things are just sort of misudar, when everything's kind of working. But when you touch the place of, of brokenness, then you hear the voice of brokenness. The person is suffering. The experience is, I'm the only one. Right? Pain by... By nature, it makes us feel ourselves acutely and isolated, right? So it says beyond that, though. it says the feeling is all of my pain, even all of Am Yisrael's pain. God is ignoring our pain. That's the experience. All of their pain, God has pain. And all of their suffering, God suffers. And in the Gemara it says, When a person is suffering, the Gemara says that the Shekhinah, God's presence is saying, my head is overwhelmed with pain, my arm is overwhelmed with pain. But there's, there's like a divine response to our suffering. But we don't suffer, separate from God. Says the Chachamim, the Prophets. And, and our, our holy book teaches us that the pain of God over our pain is, is so much greater than our own pain. The Gemara, for example, I believe the Sanhedrin, the Gemara says 
when a parent sees their child in pain, it hurts the parent more. So that's that's the mashal that they bring to explain this. That that when, when God is watching our suffering, the suffering is that much greater. But but we don't feel that. Right? That's not what we intuitively feel, instinctively feel when we're suffering. So one possible explanation now that I'd be saying, why is it that we nonetheless feel so separate from God and suffering and pain? So we know that God is boundless. God is endless. And God's infinity makes God inconceivable. We can't grasp God. No musak. There's no, we have no, no concept. Really. So the truth is, in God's pain, that's a response to our pain, it's also infinite. So it also doesn't have a place. We know. So it's not only that a human being could never handle or feel that magnitude of what what he's calling the divine peace. But even to be aware of God's peace. So it's one thing that we can't feel what God feels. But even to have an awareness of God's pain, of God's tsa'a. And to hear that voice, I'm in such pain that I've kicked my kids out of out of the house. It's impossible for us to hear that also. It's impossible for us to even know what exists. It's completely beyond our limitations. And it was only when Rabbi Yossi was able to enter into the ruin that ruined place of Yerushalayim, there was less of himself taking up the space when he walked in. Yeah, he walked in there and he he was there was less of a sense of self kind of standing in that place. He was more transparent, more transparent in that, in that place. And he himself became more destroyed. Oh, sorry. It's a beautiful way to say this. He walked in the Chorvot Yushalayim and it, it, it shattered his own limitations too. He walked into a place that was shattered and his limits became shattered. His gvul was nechrav. His own simtsum, his own smallness was broken. He experienced the immensity. The immensity, yeah, the enormity of it. It was only in that place that he could hear the echo of God's voice. And the truth is, he only heard a little bit, the tip of the iceberg here. He heard just this murmuring of an echo of a voice like a dove. But Yimriyahu Navi is saying that God is roaring like a lion over the, over his house. But what are Rabbi Yosir about? That, that, that he heard some far distant echo of a roar. Right? What the Rebbe is saying here is 
the degree of what it means, like on one level, kind of on the symbolic level, that of the Russian that God has pain over. But on, a, I think, on an experiential level, he's also talking about that God cares. Right? When we suffer, we feel like we feel uncared for. We feel abandoned. And the Rebbe's saying, we're it, we're incapable of, of truly feeling that empathy from God because it's so enormous. It's so enormous that, that we, we, we can't access it. And he gives an example of a story here of somebody who is able to kind of feel enough of that korban that he also was, was open to something else from it. He was open to something. And again, even that was a whisper of a whisper, it was an echo of, of what God was, what was going on with God in that. And this is the same reason that the world is even able to exist. That the world is omed al omdo velo nechrav mitzaroshet If if God's sar that we're talking about here was truly unleashed on the world, the world would be this, the world wouldn't be able to withstand it. When, 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 when Am Yisrael is, is suffering, when the, when the house is destroyed, why can the world keep going on? Because God's, God's, God's anguish is not entering. So pretend, perhaps this is what's explained in the Midrash Echarab. This Midrash on Megillat Echa is what we read on the Shabbat. The Megillah that speaks of the destruction. So the Midrash on Echa says, Be'otasha'a, right, at the time of the destruction, Nichnesu oivim la'echa v'sarfu. Enemy forces entered the chamber and, and, and burnt it. Be'kevan sh'nisraf, amar kodesh baruchu, shuv eni moshav ba'avet. God saw the, the, the Mikdash burn and said, I have no place to live anymore on earth. Es'alek sh'chinati mimena, ve'aleh limchoni harishon. I'm going to remove my presence from the world. And ascend to my place I was before. I built a Beit Hamikdash. I brought my presence to, to Earth, to the world, to interact with people in an intimate way. And that house has been destroyed. I'm going to go back to where I came from. The God was crying in that moment. What did I do? Israel. I brought my presence to dwell below. For the sake of Am Yisrael. And now that they sin, I'm going to have to go back to where I was before? God forbid. The whole world's going to laugh at me. But I'm going to become the joke. Even God couldn't, what? God couldn't figure out how to stick around? God was crying. This was, the, this was what God was crying over. At that time, at the throne, the, the archangel shows up. And fell on his face. Master of the universe, let me cry. And you don't cry. Amar lo, God responds, 
if you don't allow me to cry now, I'm going to go to a place where you have no permission to enter into it, and I'll cry over there. Shneemar says in Yemiyahu, "Ve'imloti shmauha be'mistarim tifken afshi." And if you don't hear it, I, my soul is crying in the hidden places. Mipnei gaver ve'dimaa tidame ve'tered eini dimaa kinuzba eder Hashem. Yemiyahu is speaking prophetically on behalf of God that you don't hear me crying; it's because I'm crying in a hidden place, and I can't cry before you because of your arrogance. But you should know that the tears are pouring. That image very strong reminds me of Yosef going into the inner chamber to try to mm-hmm. his brothers. Yeah. He's very much that. Yeah. Also, even with mm-hmm. the yes. the break. Mm-hmm. Right. The truth is that the reconciliation between Yosef and his brothers, it didn't happen when they came and they said to him, when he said who he is. When he said, I'm Yosef, they were, they weren't able to approach him. But then he started crying. And he watched each one of them and said, Cried on each one of them, and then they spoke. Then they were able to talk about it. The Yosef said, the said too, it was the tears that, that broke through. You cried in front of them. In front of them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It opened up that, that gate. So here the Midrash is saying something a little hard to understand, a little bizarre, also powerful, right? That, that God is crying over the state of the destruction, and this angel comes and says, God, you don't need to cry, let me cry. And God says, no. If you're not going to let me cry, I'm going to go cry in my head. And again, the Rebbe is evoking here God crying somewhere where we can't hear it. Right? But that tear, those tears, that pain, of God's true care, uh, the fact that God is with us in this experience, it's, it's happening somewhere hidden from us. And also in Tana Develiyahu, Ita, there's another kind of a similar um, somewhat image of, an, of the angel saying, it's a disgrace for the king to pray in front of the servants. Yeah, it's, it's like it's below beneath you. Don't, it's disgraceful for a king to pray in front of the servants. But then the Rabbi says, if the prop, so... Why was not the throne falling on his face, saying to God, let me cry, you don't cry? What was that about? So he says, we have another Midrash that's saying it's disgraceful. It's like this, it's, it's, it's unbecoming of a king. But the Rebbe says, if it was just a question of there being, it being disgraceful for God to cry before the servants, the Malach would have left. Hmm. And then God would not be crying before his servant, so to speak. But what God says is, I'm going to go somewhere else. God doesn't say, get out of here. God says, either let me cry or I'm going to go cry somewhere else. So the, the Rebbe is bringing up a question. What is going on with this angel wanting to cry? And with God saying, I'm going to go cry in Aiden okay? That's This is the question. And what, is it, what could it mean then about this disgrace? So, saying that, based on what we said before, it's not 
the Medrash isn't just saying, oh, it's disgraceful for a master to cry before the servant. It's saying that for the servant, it's disgraceful that the king has to cry at all. Meaning, he'll flesh it out a little more, but, but what, what he said before about God's anguish, God's pain that's being shared with our pain, and that's being being experienced by God in some kind of detached way from our world, or some hidden way from our world. So the servants don't want that to be the case. We don't want God's tears, so to speak, to be distant from us. We don't want to be exiled in pain. This is the Ganai we feel about. For the, for the servants, it's a disgraceful situation. If God has to cry, we can't hear God's cry. If, if, we can't, if we have to suffer separate from God. Let's read on and have a flesh out of the Nazi. But since, as we said, God's, so, so to speak, God's pain, God's suffering is, is boundless. It's, it's greater than the world itself. There's no container for it. So not only does it not enter the world, but the world doesn't even feel, doesn't even flinch. What we're speaking about here is the most terrible things can be happening. It's just moving like normal. It's just spinning. Some everything is just happening like normal. Which is the biggest pain? Which is the biggest pain? That this is that experience of I'm 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 in this alternate reality. So therefore, the Malach said, "No, God, I want to cry. I don't want you to be crying." God. Right, because if you're crying, God, it means that the world's going to keep going like it is. Because nobody can handle your tears, God. Right, if you're going to cry, God, you're going to be doing it far away from our world. You're going to let the world go on, and you're going to hold back from showing us the full gravity of your. So let me cry instead of you. Because the malachim. A malach is a messenger. The malachim are God's messengers. So the malach was saying, God, let me be your messenger. We, we don't want you to keep your pain away from us. We want the world to be affected by what's happening. We don't want you to have to distance yourself from your world to let them continue going on. We want there to be a disruption. We want, we want the world to hear those tears. We'll, we'll read on and he'll speak it out a little more. Yeah? So the, the angel wanted to cry the tears of God into the world. This is what it, this is how the Rebbe is explaining the question. Don't you don't cry, God. Let me cry instead. Because the world needs to hear your tears. The world can't just continue to spin around and act like nothing is happening. This is the biggest pain. Yeah? And let, let me be the messenger, your messenger of tears to the world. And then you won't, be, you won't have to cry anymore. If we hear, by the way, this is just a beautiful 
this word kibyachol. It's, it's a beautiful um, word that's used in some of the Spanish to talk about God. Because we're talking about God in the first, especially here, we're talking in the most like raw human emotional ways, like being suffering, crying. It's it's this isn't you know in books of theology. This isn't what's written. But we talk about God as the kibyachol. We talk about God with the the knowledge that everything we're speaking about is all. Um, I want to say it's not, it's all as if, meaning, but I think it's deeper than analogy. Because analogy means that it's kind of purely symbolic. It's not purely symbolic. It's an approximation. It's not something we can say in such confined ways. But the truth that we need to express, we need to express. So we call it, so to speak, that as if. The world will burst open if it were to actually hear those tears. Right? The angel saying, let me bring your tears to the world so it bursts open. Even just one spark of God's anguish enter, will enter the world. All of the enemies of God will be, will be burned by that. It's so powerful. Right at the, at the splitting of the sea, Gemara says, God turned to the angels and said, my creatures drowning in the water, the Egyptians, yeah, are drowning in the water, and they're going to be, be singing praises at this moment? You can't sing praises when my creatures are drowning. There he says, so that's about the Egyptians drowning in the sea. When Am Yisrael is drowning in blood, is it possible that the world can go on? How is it even possible? How is it even possible? Let me cry, says the angel. You won't have to cry anymore. You won't have to keep your tears far away from the world because the world will be transformed by hearing even just a small bit of you. I think the Rebbe is, is, is screaming, is the angel screaming here. I think the Rebbe is screaming. You know, you asked, you know, is he somebody who was in the Chorva? He was in, he was in the place of, of utter ruin. And he's screaming to God, let me, be your, let me be your messenger. Let me cry those tears. Let somebody cry those tears. Let the world hear, not only that you're still around, but that, but that you care that you want it to be different. It's more than that. The Rebbe's saying, God, just overwhelm the world with yourself. Already. Just overwhelm the world already. It's enough. How can the world keep going on? We talked about the, the, the doors being locked, right? He's banging on the locked doors. The Rebbe says, but he's going back to Echa now. Since God wanted to atone for all of the misdeeds of Am Yisrael, the time of the Chorban, the destruction, and it was not yet time to bring redemption, right? There was some kind of necessity of destruction and of exile at that time. So God said, no. I'm sorry, my patron, 
I'm not going to send you as a messenger right now. I'm going to go to a place where you aren't able to enter, and there, that's where I will come. At this moment, the pain is so great that the world won't be able to continue. And it's going to, it's elevated beyond the so he says, it's not only that the pain of God, of, of the exile, was so great at that point that it had to be kept in the world, so that it, it still had more to go. It was going to go to a place where not only the world can't hear it, but the angels aren't going to be able to hear it either. Who's, I mean, who's really going into exile? Yeah. This is some kind of wild image of... of of God even utter isolation. The Gemara says an amazing thing. Gemara asks the question, says by God, that in God's place there's always strength and joy. How is it possible for God to have pain or sadness? God is by definition in a state of Fullness, joy. So the Gemara says, The Oz Bechedva, strength and joy, is in the outside chambers. But the sadness and tears are in the inner chambers. That's what the Gemara says. And, and if you just think about the world, the outer reality of the world, look, it's, the grass is green, the sky is blue, the birds are chirping, we're all breathing. And how could that be at the same time? Of, of such of such anguish and, and destruction. But there's an outer reality and there's an inner reality. So the Gemara calls that place where God goes to cry all alone, This is the place, the inner room where God goes to cry. So the Maharsha, the commentator on the, on the Gemara, he says that the two houses are the last hay in God's name and the first hay in God's name. Right? Yud, yud and hay and vav and hay, the name of God, that the outer house is the, is the last letter hay and the inner house is the first letter hay. This is whatever. He gives a capitalistic explanation, but, but the Rebbe here is drawing on that. The first hay is called Makom Binat. And, and the, the, the Zohar says that Bina, Kaima the Sheila, Bina Bina is a place that you can ask about, can't truly know it. You can't conceive of it. You can only ask questions there. That inner chamber, that place where God cries, so to speak, that place where God feels sorrow, anguish, and pain over the pain of the world, is a place that we can't conceive of. We can just ask a question. Shuhula Mala Measaga, it's inconceivable for us. That's where God is, is hiding away all this. In this next uh, paragraph, the Rebbe says, what it means that it's a bategavai. The Gemara calls it a home that's hidden. It means that it's not completely distant from us, but it, like a house has walls around it that you can't see through, but it's still, everything is there, because you can't see what's on the other side of it. So he says it to say that the, 
the batei gavai, to say that God is crying in that inner house, it means that it's, it's here among us, we just can't see through it. It's not completely detached. And he goes on to say, and this is already, it's going to take, for us to see it inside, would take too much, uh, just go with me on this. In the previous drasha of the Sefer year, Pasha Yitro, the Rebbe explained that God gave us the Torah not as a hidden treasure, but as a house. God gave us the Torah not as something, so to speak, he's, he's darshaning the words of the Gemara, that before we were given the Torah, it was this hidden treasure. It was in the storehouse way beyond the world. There was no access to it. But when God gives it to us as a house, so it all of a sudden becomes something that we can access. You can enter into the house. It's not in a totally private, you know, Fort Knox place. It's here among us, and we now need to be invited into the house. Okay. So he he, what he does is he and he brings out this idea of a of a bite of God hiding in a bite to God, which which means that it's so to speak, God is hiding inside of the, ho the house of the Torah. And he goes on and he brings this image, and the Gemara says that when they, when, when they used to have public fasts over um, times of famine, over lack of rain, over times of, of need, so they would all gather. The Gemara goes out and explains everything that's happened. They'd gather out into the city, into the streets of the city, and they would bring out the Aaron Kodesh. They bring out the the place where the Torah scrolls sit into the city. The Zohar goes on and says they would even bring the Torah out itself. And he says it's because within the Torah, once the Torah has been given to us, so God's hidden house has been given to us too. Okay, once we have a Torah among us, so the Torah is able to um, convey to us and it gives us entry an invitation into God's reality that we otherwise would never be able to touch so he's saying that even that cry and that pain of God that's beyond the world okay now they're going to get back together and then we'll come back to the text that pain of God that's so and infinite that it can't fit into the world it can't be wailing through through the world, because we just wash the world over, it can be communicated and conveyed to us through the Torah itself. Right, think about this. What is the Torah? The Torah is God's word written on paper, written in words. It's, it's, it's crazy to say that there's divine communication from, from the end self into these finite words and sentences that tell us things. Like, it's a bizarre thing to, to imagine. But, but the whole concept of what the Torah is is that it brings something infinite and gives it a contained form of communication. So God's pain also that we were talking about, that's so infinite, that's built that we can't possibly um, pain or absorb or withstand, it can also be contained by the Torah in a way that we can Okay, so this is this is this is kind of what's setting up the next piece of what he's going to. Okay. Is that it? Yeah. 
So he says, what can we possibly do? Again, remember what the Rebbe is saying. There is, there is no remedy to this situation other than unleashing God's tears into the world. Right? That's, what, that's what the Rebbe was saying. What can you possibly, what, what, is, what do we have to hope for? We have to hope that the, that the, that the earth will hear God's voice of, of Tsar with us. Yeah? That God won't stay his beautiful something we talked that that's always saying this before. Why are you standing standing distant from us? We want to close that distance. So he's saying something remarkable. He says, by holding strongly to the Torah, and entering into it, saying he's saying people. Learning Torah, doing its it's not, we're not talking about fulfilling religious duties here. We're, we're talking about entering into God's domain. Elav nichnasim. The infinite God can, is confined in, in Torah, and, and for us to, to access that, we need to enter into that, that house. We're coming. It's more than meaning. It's elavi parach nichnasim. It's entering into God. That's those are his words. By by coming to God's place, that is the only way to let that voice, that cry, over our pain to be revealed. And to evaporate, to wipe out evil like smoke. And says, I know when we're all suffering. It's hard to learn. Well, you're going to learn a Mishnah now. He's speaking very delicately. And there's people for whom there are certain mitzvot that are not so easy for them to perform. But you know, the Jewish people were well trained in suffering. And we always somehow continued to to live with the Torah among us. It's very hard to, to read, but his words, he says that the Torah wasn't given to us on conditions that we can fulfill it when it's good for us and we will abandon it. And he says that the Torah is, is the is the given. The Torah is the constant. That we, we have to still try to enter into it to the degree that we can. I want to say also, I mean there, there's a piece of this that reading it just sounds like like a musa, you know, which is a kind of um, religious review. And, but I, I read it also as, as I keep empowering it. He's saying to them, I remember this whole image of all the gates are locked. The, any truth that you could possibly hold on to has dissolved because of your pain, because of our pain. But they're always saying, you actually still have access to that in some way, shape, or form. In a, sense, in a sense, he's also telling them that the Torah can be a life raft when you have no life raft. There can be something that, that holds a place mm -hmm. of, 
of eternality in the face of, of total uncertainty. And for, right. for me, these are the kinds of things that I could never say on my own. I could only, I could hear somebody who was there saying, I think on some level what he's saying also is you can grasp onto life even when your life is, is slipping. Yes. I also, I also just want to bring it. Uh, we saw this in the Mimak Shabbat Shabbat. I already said, when you go back and read the book, read about yourself. Don't just read about other people. Towards the end, the Rebbe says, "Okay, now you finish the book. Go back and read it again. But everything you read, read it about yourself. Don't read it about somebody else's experiences." Yeah. So, so here too, I think, you know, we're not coming to compare or anything. But, but the question here is. What does it look like for me to find connection with God in the places where I feel that I can't where that connection can sit? What does it look yeah. what does it look like to be able to even conceive of finding a point of contact in the place of of where we are in this time of year, of, of shever, yeah, of breakdown, the place where I look around me and the holding environment just doesn't seem to be here. The place where I look around and I see absence, or where I look inside and I experience abandonment. What is the Rebbe saying to us here? That God is in the mistarim in that place. That you're right, you cannot see God. That is the place where God hides from you. Where God hides in that house. He goes on and he says that when, when we talk about accessing Torah, we don't just mean holy books, we don't just mean books. He goes and he builds this whole this whole conceptual, this whole concept for us that the Dibrot, there's ten Dibrot of Torah, there's ten Ma'amarot of creation. There's a voice of God at Harsinai, there's a voice of God that creates the world. And he says that they come from the, the one voice. The one voice. And, and as they filter into our reality, we experience them differently. We see them in separation. But, but when we touch the root of them, where he says, the root of creation is the same root of Torah. talks about basically getting to a place of being able to look at the world and seeing Kol Hashem in, in everything. There's the birds chirping. There's, and he even talks about it in terms of what he's experiencing and seeing around him. But there's such thing as saying there is no place outside of that place. There is no reality that doesn't come from that same place. And his ability, the, 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 the pathway that he models here is, how do I choose life even when, I, when all I see is, is death? How do I choose hope when all I see is destruction? But this is the depth of what he needs of the whole to the Torah, to enter the hidden room of our Christ. To be able to hear that that there's a there's a kol Hashem even in the place of of Chorban. right? Rabbi Yossi heard God's voice, Dafka in the Chorban and uh, but, but I want to come back to what what, what I put here is and the Tishab Adam and to the Ben You know, we have a book called Echa. We have a book of Torah, a book of Tanakh that is moaning and wailing over the impossible being possible. It's Echa, Yosha, how is it possible? That's what the book is called. 
The book is called How Is This Possible? And that itself is a way for us to, to talk to God. That itself is a pathway towards looking at the world with open eyes and saying, God, how is this possible? How is this possible? You're asking the question. Is, and, and, and sometimes, the, now on one level you say, oh, that, that, what that is called is called despair and, and detachment from God. That's called absence of God. But, but what the Rebbe is teaching here is that what that is called is, is looking for God's tears. What that is called is, is asking the same question that, that the angels are asking, is, is, is touching the, maybe even the outer walls or the doorway of that bate gavai, that inner house where, where God is in there keeping the tears away from the world. I'll say it in a different way, that when we lose our ability to see God, what it means is that we have to begin to see God in a way that we never imagined possible. Yeah, and I think that's the, not only the radical thing that, that comes out from these teachings, but what I was describing in the process from this time of year to Elul, to Tishrei, to Yom Kippur, how does this set the ground for tshuva? How does this set the ground for tshuva? Because for tshuva also, you need to have you need to have a renewed sense. You need to be able to see yourself in relationship to, to God and, and to Torah and Kedusha and whatever your life is about. You need to be able to see that with new eyes. And part of the process of transformation starts by losing, by losing your bearings. Losing our bearings here is not a time of losing God. It's a time of ultimately reorientation. But, but where we are in this place, the vote of this time of year is to be asking those questions that, that maybe don't have an answer. Maybe don't have an answer that's in here. But to, to, to do that with a sense of like, this is how I relate to God. Yeah, this is. This is what the, what my mitzvah is right now. This is what the Torah is. I'll tell you one more thing and then we'll, we'll wrap up. According to the Kabbalistic Sparim, this is, is rooted in the Sefer Yitzirah, that every month of the year has its own, um, right, there's 12 months, and God's name has four letters. And you can make 12 different combinations of those letters, backwards and forward. So this month, Tammuz, is the month where God's name is written completely backwards. Completely backwards. Hey, Bob, hey. Completely backwards. And each one of these months and each permutation has like a pasuk in Tanakh that it's related to. And this month, the backwards name of God is learned from a, a sentence. No well, no, it's not written that way, but it's a it's sofei tevot from a pasuk, or rashi tevot from, usually from rashi tevot in pasuk. But this month, it's the sofei tevot, the last letter of four words that Haman says. Haman walked out of the palace. Yeah, Haman walked out of the palace, and Mordechai wouldn't bow to him, and he goes home, and he starts talking about all the, you know, all of his honors and everything, and he goes home, and he says, V'chol ze eneinu shoveli, shoveli, ze eneinu shoveli, the last letters of that, of that passage, ze, hey, eneinu, vav, shoveli, hey, li, yud, God's name backwards, it's the backwards name of God. So, 
on many layers, wow. we don't we don't know anything what it means. But but just think of just just take this piece of it. There's such thing as God's name being in reverse. Yeah. yeah. And you, you get what, what, what that means? It's like the only way I can call you is from the opposite of you. The only way I can see you right now is the opposite of what, what it's supposed to be. And that is the way. That is the revelation of this time. That is the revelation that is how revelation happens at this time. And it comes from those pathetic words slipped out from like that that figure of evil. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing about, about Haman saying those words. It's the one place in the whole story of Purim where Haman maybe has some kind of like real idea he, he, he's, he believes in. What's the real idea? He's willing to say everything I have is worthless because there's something that I really want. Now, what he really wants is, is focus. No, what he really wants is, is some kind of like sense of honor, but he's willing to say everything that I'm striving after is meaningless. He's willing to say that. Now, he means it in the way that he means it. He means it because Mordechai won't bother. Right? But, but, but that there's such thing as some kind of, like, think about how hidden that means. Yeah, well, we're talking about God being in the study. How hidden is that? So, just to bring it back, and uh, we're going to close here. But uh, it's a time of hiddenness because it's a time of relating to what's absent, relating to what's broken, and and letting ourselves, letting that into ourselves, feeling that. It's Seeing those places in our own life, the places that are places of absence, of korban. And what, 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 what this Torah is teaching us, what, what the, the meaning of this month is teaching us, is that that's the hidden place. That's how, that's how God is, is, is being revealed by hiding. Yeah. God's presence in this world is sometimes we have to experience or access it only through not being able to really see it. And, and, and I think that on a deeper level, that when we allow ourselves to really feel into these days, and especially Tisha B'Av and moments within this time, and not just through like, ah, oh, okay, it's like a difficult time, we just have to get through it, but to actually take some time to sink into the feeling of these days, <clears throat> there's some kind of Intimate, private connection that we're able to forge in our place. Being able to kind of go into that isolation where God is, is crying. That, that bate goodbye. That innermost room, I think it's called. Yeah, I mean, think about it, we don't talk, you don't greet each other, right? For the first time. But that also is, is protecting the place where you're able to go inside. That we're all able to be together completely inside. And it's in that inside place where where God is. Many of these recordings are from Rabbi Ami's ongoing weekly classes given at Yeshivat Sharei Shalom in Jerusalem. For more information, 
go to shareshalom.org.il forward slash about. This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Rav Daniel Kohn. The audio engineer is David Kwan. For more from the Shefa Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.